be surprised by the amount of mental and emotional energy that I use in coming up with pithy and creative titles for some of these shows. Some of them name themselves, The Experience Fayetteville Criterium Recap Show. That just really kind of encapsulated the entire purpose of the show. But when you get a show that has more than one topic, more than one race, more than one person involved, it becomes about kind of finding a way to encapsulate the entire show into a catchphrase or into a title or into a theme. And when I first started working on this specific show two weeks ago, the working title that Tiffany Thomas and I came up with was Smorgasbord. We had a really robust conversation after we finished recording about whether or not that was going to be an appropriate title and whether or not that was, one, easy to pronounce, and two, something that people would have kind of a baseline understanding of what the word actually means. And I went back and looked it up. It's a Scandinavian-type meal that was popularized in 1939 and kind of stands for like a buffet of all different varieties of foods. It is just, it, it, well, on top of that, it is also the name of a really great rest stop in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. So it's like something that was really near and dear to my heart as a bike racer from the Mid-Atlantic racing in Lancaster, PA. But it wasn't really something that was gripping both of us to make this whole show about. When I talked to Celine and Alan, you know, we kind of changed the working title to Cheese Plate. But Cheese Plate didn't have the same kind of oomph or same kind of, I don't know, esprit de corps as Smorgasbord did. But it was also more, you know, understanding to the general public and more understanding to everybody who might be listening to this as opposed to just us folks on the East Coast who happen to race bikes in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. So I started thinking maybe we should call it the, I don't know, the crudité. And then I was like, yeah, crudité sounds great, but it's also that thing that people bring over to a buffet or to a party that everybody kind of looks at and goes, oh, cool, crudité. I guess I'll have the hummus and maybe the ranch. And don't get me wrong, some people probably really genuinely love a crudité plate. And like, there's always that weird thing about how carrots and Tomatoes seem to run out quicker in the crudite than the cauliflower. Does nobody really like cauliflower? Let's just be honest. Nobody really probably likes cauliflower. So crudite kind of got ditched. You know, that's just the way it goes. But charcuterie plate. Oh, charcuterie plate. That captures everything. You've got cheese. You've got meats. You've got vegetables. You've got all of it. And it's just something that, like, you see a charcuterie plate and you're like, ooh, this is not only high class, but also relatable because it's not just plate o meat and cheese and vegetables, it's charcuterie. And so that's what we've got here. We've got charcuterie. We've got a little bit for everybody here. We've got Indie Crit, the Momentum Indie series, better put. We've got Bucks County. We've got El Paso. We've got East Coast, Midwest, the West, Texas, Pennsylvania, Indianapolis. We've got something for everybody here. It is the perfect charcuterie plate. 
My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows, the world's only independent source of independent cycling content out there. We thrive on your subscriptions and your membership. So go to wideanglepodium.com, become a member and help financially support this content creator driven effort. If you haven't been paying attention lately, Go Cross happened last weekend. Bill, Zach, Michael Bodekheimer, Bruce Buckley, the entire crew of the media pit plus some are churning out incredible content. The CX Hairs Bulletin is alive and running. They've got a video cyclocross TV on the YouTube channel. There is so much great cyclocross content being created right now. So please check that out and check out what's happening with Nowhere Fast, the Slow Ride Podcast, the Grodio, a lot of our sister shows here on the network. WideAnglePodium.com is your source for all of that. We are brought to you this week, like always, by Source Endurance. Source-e.net is the website. You can go there to find out all you need to know about the best source for endurance coaching, nutrition services, good, solid advice on what to do when you break your thumb in the middle of the cross season and you've got to try to create a plan on how to get healthy yet still maintain that sanity that comes with having the ability to train and ride your bike and do other things, not just riding the trainer, not just riding Zwift, but to do those other things that are so super critical about being a full, well-rounded athlete, source-e.net. Use Criterium Nation and check out all one word for $50 off your first month of coaching with Source Endurance. So here's how the show is going to play out. We've got three parts, three acts, three chapters, as we used to call them. The first one is with everybody's favorite, Frank Cundiff. Frank is going to help us talk about the Momentum Indie events, both the Mass Avcrit and the Indycrit. Then Celine and Alan are going to drop by and talk about El Paso and what's going on in USA Crits. And we're going to wrap up like the weekend did wrap up with Bucks County and Tiffany Thomas, the brand new Category 1 Tiffany Thomas from Philly Bike Expo to talk about Bucks County and all the good things that are happening in Pennsylvania and in the Mid-Atlantic. So we've got four, count them, four races to break down, and we're doing that right now. Joining me tonight is everybody's favorite Crocs-wearing crit racer, the pride of Columbia Heights, D.C., Frank Cundiff. Frank, how is it going on this rainy Tuesday or Thursday or whatever day of the week? It doesn't matter for you. Rob, I'm a little uh, distraught, to be honest. How are you distraught? We stayed at Bree Clark's house for Indy Crit Weekend. I came home to D.C., thankful to be home and season over and ready to relax. And I have no idea where my Crocs are now. They're probably somewhere lost in Ohio when Mallory tossed them when you weren't looking. 
I do think Mallory and Bree were plotting against me with my Crocs. I think they threw them away or gave them to the dog. <laughs> Dogs. Lucy deserves it. I was. I thought you were going to say you were distraught because your season is over. And then today we get this announcement from all of the cycling media about a brand new $100,000 purse race that's going to happen October 30th in Sacramento. Of course, we're talking about Into the Lion's Den. There's some really great branding for you. The SRAM Legion product in Sacramento. What do we know about this huge event? Uh, We know it's in Sacramento. We know it's equal prize money, equal distance, equal time for both fields. We also know that, you know, they it's the most biggest prize purse of any crit in recent history for uh the United States. It's it's gonna be a big, big race. Um I think it's great that Legion is doing this. I will be honest and say I wish it wasn't Halloween weekend, you know, eight weeks after or seven weeks after I got off the bike to end my season. But no, it's a great move. I hope my my biggest hope is that it's a sustainable race that we can plan on uh actually putting on a calendar, you know, at the beginning of the season and plan around uh that race at the end of the season. So the registration for it is not on Bike Reg. It's a different site that you have to go to to do the registration. There is little information beyond just that, which we know right now. Uh, if you want to register, bikesignup.com is the website that you would go to. They will have a men's and women's one, two, three field, and then a men's and women's pro invite field. It is set to be 70 minutes, both the men's and the women's, which is getting closer to that magic number of 75, which I think is a minimum for a top quality elite criterium in the United States. But we're going in a positive direction. I'm curious to know what the course is going to look like. The city of Sacramento has hosted the Amgen Tour of California in the past, and it does indicate on the press release that the there is a bike walk or bike or walk event that's going to happen around the Criterium Loop, which is said to be around the state capitol grounds. Given that it's Halloween weekend, you uh, you obviously have the right to wear a costume for this walk or bike around the grounds. I've been to Sacramento. It is a super cool city right there at the confluence of the American and Sacramento rivers. The state capital is absolutely gorgeous, but it is bone flat. I mean, it is the definition of bone flat, and they are super wide open roads. I, I, I'm hopeful that they can come up with something creative there as opposed to just doing a straight up four corner crit around the Capitol building because it's like eight lanes wide there. But, you know, we're going to find out more information as time goes along in the next six weeks. We'll share it with all of you guys as we find out about it. It's said to be a one kilometer circuit, so it's going to be super fast, whatever it is. It's going to be super fast. And it's, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. And part of the purse includes $20,000 in cash premiums to keep the race competitive throughout the whole course of the thing. So it's not just wait till the end and sprint it out. So riders don't know who's going to be there quite yet. Rosters are going to be announced in early October, but I'm hoping to see some of the best teams in the country, the butcher boxes, the automatics, the DNAs, 
you know, I would love to see Project Echelon or Avolo or Wildlife come there too. Time will tell who shows up, but we'll keep you guys informed. The reason Frank is here, the reason that I wanted to make sure Frank was here, because two races happened in Indianapolis this weekend in conjunction with a lot of other races, but also in conjunction with some pretty cool stuff that was happening in the city of Indianapolis. Frank, you, Mallory, couple other great folks were there at Momentum Indy. That's the overall name of it. What were these races that you signed up for and did? Yeah, so these were the uh, two big races that traditionally happened in Indianapolis, the Mass Ave Crit and the Indy Crit. Usually these are two uh, separate events. They, they usually don't go the same weekend. One is usually early season, one's late season. The last I heard, they're trying to make this into a three-day uh, event weekend, an Omnium. This weekend was an Omnium uh, between Mass Ave and Indy Crit, so there was an individual payout for each race, and then there was an overall payout um, for the Omnium. No, and they were they were flat, fast uh, courses. They were they were tough. And the cool thing is, I think you know, with at least the Mass Ave Crit, like we can talk about the Indy Crit in a second, but the Mass Ave Crit is a straight up right triangle. That's not a design that you see way too often. I mean, we could do a plus a a squared plus b squared equals c squared on it, and like that's like that's kind of fun for me to see a course that is just a little over a kilometer, but have two pretty sharp corners on it. Yeah, it was it was tough. I'm I'm going to be honest. It um, you know, I think a little uh, insight into to the event. You know, it was women went off at. I believe 7 p.m. or 7.30 p.m. for 50 minutes. And then the men went off for eight thir- at 8.30 for an hour, 60 minutes. And what's interesting about going off at 8.30 in September is that it's dark out. They did not let us pre-ride the course. There was no pre-riding of the course allowed at all. So going into a right triangle uh, course without having ever ridden it made for an interesting first few laps. But it was it was phenomenal. It was super fun, even though they were ninety, they were one hundred and twenty degree, one hundred and ten degree turns. Didn't really have to touch brakes to go through them, and it was just a flat, fast, uh, sixty minute crit. One of the things that they did in conjunction with this event, it, which is why it was later in the year, was the unveiling of the Major Taylor Memorial or mural. I guess is probably a better way of saying it. They invited a lot of the current and recent, you know, African-American greats in cycling to the event for the unveiling. So Nelson Vales, the 1984 Olympian, was there. Rassam Bahati was there. Justin Williams was there. His whole team wasn't there, but Justin was sure there. And so it was, you know, kind of a, a big deal for the city of Indianapolis. And I'm hoping that they can bring this level of intensity and excitement to years to come. Just to hit real quick here, the kind of the the results for Indy, uh, excuse me, yeah, for the Mass Ave crit. For the first night on the men's side, in third place was Caleb Langley, Lucas Burgoyne in second from Hoggins Berman, and Tanner Ward from First Internet Bank Cycling. That rounds out your podium right there. On the women's side, it's a kind of a, a set of names that we haven't had the pleasure of saying recently. In third place, Gabriella Arnold. 
Second place, Jane Tullis from Marion, the local great university, cycling university in Indianapolis. And Debbie Milne from superfunctionalfoodbars.com wins the whole thing. Debbie, I can't remember, Frank, is Debbie the mom or the daughter Milne? The, she's the mom. So that's uh, Andy Crater's other half. They are based out of South Carolina, I believe. Um, and I do believe Debbie won... Or she, no, she didn't win. She did pretty well at the Carter County Omnium. That's the last time uh, we saw her at a race. Um, personally, I saw her, uh, Mallory and I. I have a vague memory of Debbie going off the front at Pro Crit Nationals. I she that might have been her. I think it was. Um, but Debbie, I mean, she's a phenomenal crit racer uh, in her own right. She's been doing it for, I mean, fifteen years or so, and and she's she's really smart on the bike and. Uh, knows knows how to race. So how did these these races play out? You know, you were in the men's race, you had a vested interest in watching the women's race as well because if you look just a wee bit lower on the results, there's a name in fourth place, Mallory McRosty, you know, your significantly better half, she was there doing a great job. So how did these races play out? I mean, it's easy for me to report on this because I did not make it very far into the Friday night race, uh, just into the season. No, head's not really in it, you know, and, and for a, a nighttime crit with 220 degree turns, um, you kind of have to be there and, and, uh, mentally if the men's race, we'll, we'll start with the men's and go to the women's. Um, I'll say, I think personally, the women's seemed a bit more exciting for me. Um, the, the men's race was super hard from the gun. Um, first internet bank, I think there were 50, 47 men registered. Inter first internet bank was the only team of size there. They had seven guys and they lined it out. They made it hard from the gun and shelled half the field in the first 20 minutes. After that, probably right around the halfway point, Tanner Ward went clear and soloed the race, almost lapping the field. Not for guys like Lucas or Justin going to the front and driving the pace, trying to bring it back or trying to get across. But, uh, you know, it was, it was all for not, I mean, Tanner's a monster. He got third at Joe Martin stage race crit solo, trying to bridge to, uh, George and, um, the Kelly benefits kid. I can't remember who his name, Sean Guidish. Yes, Sean. Thank you. And yeah, no, I mean, Tanner was the one to watch. Everyone knew that that night. And, uh, I will say First Internet Bank worked over the entire field that night. It was it was very impressive to watch. He ended up Tanner ended up winning by 43 seconds over Lucas. So in a 1K crit, 43 seconds is pretty much the whole lap and you know like he was probably starting to see the trail ends of that of that lead group because there were a couple of guys that are about a minute down on him that probably rolled in right at the back of that main pack. So tell us about the women. So the women's race, there uh, there was only sixteen starters, eighteen starters. There were eighteen starters. Um, it was a it was a significantly smaller field, uh, as I think you know anyone that does race at the regional or national level was aware. You know there were five big events going on that weekend. You had uh, Bucks County Indy Crit Weekend, uh, El Paso, DCCX, and uh, Collegiate Track Nationals, which was also in Indy. I'm glad that you tossed DCCX in there because my my wrist is still there. Correct, correct. Yeah. So so you know there were there were five big events going on, and so you know we 
we're aware that, you know, traditionally the women's field is not as large as the men's field. And so when you spread that across five pro events or five elite events, you know, it's, it's going to shrink the fields and, but that gives, you know, some of these up and comers a really a good chance to shine. And, um, we saw that at IndyCrit with five, I want to say it started early, maybe three laps in two people went clear, uh, one being Mallory, um, I was like bragging on her. And then, um, they were joined by five women and then two more joined, but there was an attack that dropped them. And so it was, it was five women going clear. I mean, literally 15 minutes into the race and, and staying clear. Um, the field completely exploded again, beat those 120 degree turns. If, if you're any kind of hesitant in those turns, you know, you're going to be putting out a lot more effort than you need to on that course. And that's going to cost you over 50 minutes. And then Debbie, I mean, being a great sprinter and just knowing how to read a course and how to read the people she's, you know, in a breakaway with, um, she came out of that last turn first and just, uh, or sorry, no, I take that back. There was an attack with a couple laps to go by one of the girls. Debbie bridged to it and the other girls kind of hesitated trying to see who was going to do the work. Um, and, and those two stayed clear by a couple seconds. Debbie taking the sprint. It was a fun race to watch. It was a really exciting last couple laps there. I'm on Debbie's road results page right now. She is prolific in her races. I mean, in, in 2016, she raced 48 times. I mean, that's, that, that's Frank Cundiff numbers of racing. <laughs> and, and she won both the road race and the crit this year at Masters Nationals in her age group. So that's, you know, she's killing it for, she's killing it for not just a woman of her age, but for a woman of any age right now. I mean, she's still up there with, with the best women from Grant Park, Walterboro, LaGrange, you know, Sonny King. She did all the Hincappy stuff this spring. So, like, that's that's great. Can we talk about in the uh, the Indie Crit itself? So the IU Health Indie Crit. This is the 11th year that they've run this event. It was 15 years for Mass Ave. So these are both pretty senior events now. The, you know, the the women's race and the men's race, uh, you know, they, they look like they're about 50, 60 minutes. So they're the same time frame that they were before. This is one of those classic, and I like to call these the dumbbell races. So it's not like a pure figure eight where the, it like crosses right over, but there's like a separate, there's like a line connecting the two figure eight portions of it. And it's all downtown in the university park area. So, it's a little bit longer at 1.5 K as opposed to the one K course the night before, you know, during the day, probably a little bit hotter because this was a hot weekend. What was it like there? Yeah. So this was interesting. Um, traditionally this course goes into the city circle, the, the big city center circle area. Um, it was pushed a block this year just because the, the weekend it was on, they had the Indianapolis Colts opening weekend going on. They had a big nine 11 ceremony going on at the circle. Um, and so they pushed it a block. And what they also did was they narrowed the course to have part of the road open to traffic. Still, um, Indianapolis, if you ever drive down there, I feel 
very bad for you currently because there's just so much construction going on down there. And then with all that stuff going on, they were just trying to alleviate the traffic while allowing the race to happen. Um, that being said, it was hot. It was like 91 degrees, I believe, at the start of the women's race. Uh, I think they went off at 2 p.m. Men went off at 3 and the course, even though it was a little bit narrower than it traditionally is, it's still one of those courses where you don't have to stop pedaling. You don't have to touch brakes any part of the course. You can pedal the entire thing the entire time, no matter your speed. Um, and as a result of that, it, it kind of races like uh, Haynes Point does, Rob, if anyone knows Haynes Point in DC, where you really have to measure your effort because if you go too deep, you're you're not recovering. It's a you know if it's single file and there's someone on the front driving it, you are putting out power and you're putting in effort, um, and there's not a lot of chance to recover on that course. And when you look at the the men who signed up to race this race, you definitely had a lot of power. You had UCI teams as in Wildlife Generation Pro, Ryan Jastrab. You had Hoggins Berman Action with Lucas Burgoyne, the second place finisher the night before. You had Bissell. First Internet Bank, Legion of Los Angeles. You had a lot of really great men who were in that. And just to do the just to do the results, Bissell, First Internet Bank, Legion of Los Angeles. So you've got Will Coleman in third from Bissell, Jarrett Oldman of First Internet Bank, and Justin Williams winning the sprint there for Legion of Los Angeles. And when you set up a race to be one hour long, and that's what you advertise it for, and the finishing time for the winner is 59 minutes flat, you know the officials nailed that one right there. That's some top quality prognostication by the officials. No, they did a phenomenal job uh, the whole weekend. Um, even the night before, you know, I made a comment to Mallory. Her race was uh, supposed to be 58 minutes, and I think it went something like 49-16 or, or 48-50-something. I mean, it was they were really dead on. It was really impressive how how close. And I think part of that is what you see in some races they wait till the halfway point to put up the laps. You know, a lot of races will wait 10 minutes in and throw up laps or 15 minutes. Um, I, I think them waiting until the halfway point to throw up the lap board, you know, the 30 minute mark or the 25 minute mark really helps dial it in because uh, you, you get that super fast start out of the way and it helps to really get an accurate median for those lap times. Of course, there's some people like me who are just like, oh, God, the numbers aren't even up yet, and I'm already running the risk of getting dropped here. This is getting bad. Yeah, no, no, I was I was right there uh, with you. Uh, that was definitely my mindset on Saturday. You know, early on in the men's race, there was a big split. There was probably 12 or 13 guys up the road. I was sitting pretty comfortable, kind of, I don't know why, but I was kind of uh, sitting behind uh, Bahati and Justin Williams. Uh, just kind of if wherever they were, I figured I should be. Those are pretty solid wheels to pick. Yeah. And then John Freder attacked to bridge across to that field split. And I went, Oh, Freder's super strong. I should follow him. Uh, and he's got a bunch of roadhouse teammates, you know, in, in the field. Um, so when he went, I went with him. It was a pretty big effort, probably three quarters of a lap, uh, pretty all out trying to bridge across. Um, as we were about to make it, we got caught by the field. And, uh, I went backwards very quick. I went from like second wheel in the field to like third from last. And I was like, Oh no, this is, this is a terrible idea. What have I done? 
So the women's results here in third place racing on Team Christmas, I think it was, Christina Birch. In second place, Mallory McRosty for Project Echelon. And in first place, again, two nights in a row, Debbie Milne from Super, superfoods.com. You know, this was a breakaway. How did, they, how did that play out? Yes. So uh, to to that point, I, I think the correct enunciation of Christina's team is um, Team USA Cycling presented by Christmas. That's how she was announced for the podium by Brad Soner. She was wearing a Christmas jersey, like a Christmas-themed sweater jersey um, and Team USA bibs. Um, and talking with Mallory after the race, you know, it was one of those we don't think a breakaway will go, but just feel it out, see how you feel. And she said that everyone, the the thought process in most of the people's minds was we can't let it come to a sprint because Christina will crush us. She's a phenomenal track racer uh, in her own right. She's um, partners with uh, Ashton Lambie, who was there watching the races and then hanging out at the velodrome for track nats. Mallory attacked, got away solo, um, and Debbie Milne bridged up. And then the two of them worked together and Debbie took the sprint. Uh, coming out, she attacked Mallory into the last turn, got a couple bike links, and and uh, went one to uh, Debbie Mallory, and then again Christina significantly um, on a borrowed bike, mind you, from her Instagram I was seeing uh, that was too small, uh, won the field sprint. Fifty six seconds down on Debbie and, and Mallory, so they were clearly working well together while they were up the road. Frank. Thank you so much for helping break down these races. Yeah, no, not a problem. I do want to say the VIP of the weekend, in my opinion, and I, I think this needs to be included, is Brad Soner. Because Brad... Always. Brad commentated the Friday night Indy Crit, Mass Ave Crit, Saturday Indy Crit, and sprinted full run in the airport at Indianapolis to catch a plane to make it to Pennsylvania in time to announce... Bucks County on Sunday. He's an unstoppable force. Yeah, the guy. I mean, that that guy. I don't. I don't know how he did it, but it was it was impressive. Let's talk El Paso and. You know, Alan, Celine, you guys are sitting in the same room right now, which is super awesome. One of these days, all three of us are going to be in the same place at the same time. I don't know when that's going to be, but I am very much looking forward to that. So El Paso, as far west in Texas as you can possibly go for the Sun City Criterium, the penultimate stop on the USA Crits circuit for 2021. You know, what is that race course like for those of us who've never made the journey all the way to, and I don't even know what El Paso's nickname is. Is it nicknamed the Sun City? That is a great question. Um, I don't know. I would have to do some research on the old history of El Paso, but it was a cool course. Um, On just looking at the course map before the race, it looked pretty innocuous, like more or less a four corner crit with maybe like a wiggle here and there. But um, yeah, I mean, it actually had the backstretch was a downhill. Excuse me. Uh, Yeah, the backstretch was a downhill. And then there was, it was kind of blind going into corner two. Like there was a bend into corner two, which made things pretty fun and interesting at speed. Yeah, then it was 
one more fast corner and then you headed uphill to get back to the start line and from corner four to the finish line it was super short maybe like i don't know 200 meters at most so yeah like kind of pre-writing the course you knew that that was going to make the last lap and the race to the last corner really interesting so in the moment that i had right there i did google it and el paso's nickname is actually the sun city 302 days per year of average sun sunshine wow in el paso that's that is denver level numbers of sunshine that is definitely not seattle so (laughs) this is the second time that this race has been run the first time it was run in like 2019 in early march so you know celine being a texan right now temporarily until you move to colorado because i know that plans in the works somewhere this had to be hot just like all the other races for you this year um well that was what the expectation was so typically texas in september is very unbearable um it's like almost sometimes the hottest time of the year so i was very concerned um especially also seeing that it's at elevation um like over four thousand feet so i knew like hot and elevation was gonna mess people up but It was actually one of the more moderately temperatured races of the year. Temperatured, is that a a word? Um, But yeah, it is now. (laughs) But I would say for sure in March, I imagine it would be cooler than September. But I was impressed. El Paso delivered in terms of a manageable temperature. (laughs) The last time that this race was run in 2019, I remember distinctly watching this race when, you know, it was Hoggins Berman, Superman taking it to the mat on everybody with Lily and Leanne and a bunch of great riders. Cause I was in Cancun. This is humble brag, having all you can drink margaritas and guacamole and chips and French fries because it was just wonderful. So that was my experience for that this time around. I actually didn't get to watch the race because I was a little busy with a broken hand and busted up ribs and not being able to like, you know, sleep or anything like that. So you guys are the eyes and ears. I'm going to guess at what happens based on the way that the rest of the season is played out and the players who were not there at El Paso in the men's race. Legion of Los Angeles was not there, which I'm guessing Alan is going to say, allowed all the other teams to come in and cause as much chaos as possibly could. It was like the Thunderdome. Everybody enters, you know, two men enter, one man leaves. Is that how it ended up playing out for the men? Yep, pretty much 100% that. Uh, like, from from the start, you could tell that everybody was itching to, to get after it and make it a really attacky race. Um, I mean, I think our first lap, we averaged, like, 35 miles an hour or something if Strava is to be believed. Uh, And it just, it never slowed down from there. I mean, there were moments where it lulled, but pretty much if the group was ever together, then someone was shooting up the outside trying to get away uh, with three people on their wheel following them. When I woke up the next morning, I had no fewer than like 15 messages, you know, from various fans of the show saying, Alan's going to have something to talk about. Alan's going to have something to talk about, definitely about strategy in this race, because Alan, you ended up up the road in a very possible 
race-winning breakaway. What happened there? Yeah, um, I mean, so I was also one of those people who wanted it to be a very attacky race and was pushing for a break to go pretty much all race. Uh, And we finally got a good one that rolled off the front after they did a points preem around lap 14, I think. And Connor went after it. Connor Mulrovey went after it. I think Michael Hernandez went after it. And I just jumped on their wheel and followed him across. And then from there, a few others. I think Ben Wolf made it over. Uh, Cliff Bar had another guy in there. And two of the Butcher Box guys jumped across as well. I think, I don't remember who it was, Sam Rosenholtz and one other. But yeah, so we had we had everybody there that we needed to kind of get the the move to roll. And we managed to stay out front for, I don't know, seven or eight laps maybe. But we just didn't have like great, like not everybody was working super well. Um, everybody, a lot of guys were just trying to sit on and skip some poles. So the, the bunch never really, we never really like got going, I suppose. A team that wasn't in there is automatic. And, you know, with Gibbons being so close now to really just locking down that overall jersey, from what I heard, he pretty much took it upon himself to chase us back. And, I mean, while we were maybe making it a little easier on him by not working together very well, the fact that he was still able to, I mean, more or less single-handedly just drag us back uh, pretty much with five laps to go was very impressive. So just to run through the the top three results here, you know, it given that Legion was not there and that it was a wide open race, the results are 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 surprising, but not really terribly surprising. It's won by Danny Estevez from Best Buddies, the the amateur criterium national champ here in the United States. In second place was his teammate Michael Hernandez. And then, you know, the heartthrob himself, Sam Rosenholtz from Butcherbox. He's had kind of a quiet year so far, so it's great to see him get up there and get a great result. You know, you go a little further down, Connor Mullervy, Tom Gibbons, you know, some of the more usual names that you're going to start to see, but like really solid work by Sam, you know, getting up there, getting a good result. And also, you know, Spencer Movenzada still lurking around there, trying to get that U25 jersey and that, you know, knockdown drag out battle between him and Michael Hernandez right now. Celine, let's switch over quick to the women's side and and talk about you know the chairwoman of the board tina pick coming away with the win over your teammate caitlin agnew and then Haley bates friend of the pod from levine law group the 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 pride of california and now part of usa cycling's mountain bike team for the world cup at snowshoe this weekend how did that race play out? Um, so pretty much right away in the first few laps, there was a break established that we were represented in. So from that point on, it kind of became a waiting game to see if that break would stick for the entire race. We had Haley in there and she's very well suited to that course. Um, she's got a good kick and she likes an incline finish. So we were happy with that. DNA was not happy with that selection in the break. I'm not entirely certain if they were represented or not, but they did effectively bring it back um, or tried very hard to bring it back and then eventually did 
Um, Maggie took some massive pulls. She worked really hard and eventually it got brought back, but immediately another move went and kind of like the men's race. It was just as soon as it got all together, several people were already launching to go again. Like the counters were ready minutes before it got reconnected. Um, in our team meeting before the race, Caitlin had been established as the person who would animate later in the race. Um, she has a massive engine and she can really like get it, get it done. So basically the pace slowed down. One of our riders went and she countered, um, and then established that winning, um, four person, I think it was four people, um, breakaway. However, there was a little bit of like cat and mouse action happening. And Caitlin was like, I'm having none of this. Um, and she kind of went a little bit too early and kind of let out into corner three, but still managed to hang on to second. So props to her for, um, I guess sprinting for like <laughs> three quarters of a lap. Um, so yeah, it ended up good. I think she could have, um, probably maybe contended more for the win if she'd had been a little bit more patient and she knows that too. Um, but second is a really amazing result. So yeah, we're very happy with that. The tragedy here with this race is that a lot of people did hit the deck in the last couple of corners in both the men's and women's race on the men's side, you know, Alan, your teammate, Andrew Jeanette, he, he went down, he popped up real quick, got to the finish line. I think, you know, didn't seem to be too terribly hurt. Christina Goki-Smith from Colavita, she was seriously hurt. I believe today, which is the 16th, she was finally released from the hospital in El Paso. It's a long list of injuries. So, you know, our, our best wishes go out to her and hopefully she'll be able to get back up and running soon so that we can see her out you know, mountain biking and doing all the great things that she loves to do in the outdoors, including being, you know, a seasoned equestrian and horse lover. So, you know, like, good luck to you, Christina. Please heal up. Rachel Langdon, she also hit the deck as well. And, you know, Celine, you found yourself on the ground too. That That's a lot of, you know, a lot of skin being left on the ground in El Paso, you know, is is everybody other than Christina, you know, doing okay? Um, I think for the most part, everybody is okay physically, but mentally, a lot of us are pretty pissed. <laughs> um, it's been a big season of just crashes, pretty much every race, um, and all of them unnecessary. So the frustration is for sure felt universally. And it it wasn't even limited just to El Paso. Regrettably, Ariel from ButcherBox at a track event in Indianapolis racing for her college team, she went down and she went down hard. Um, she's kind of been celebrating her Tegaderm purchases on, on Insta Instagram and social media. So like, I guess it's just regrettably that time of the year where people seem to go down. I mean, I crashed, I got a corner named after me now at DCCX Kelly corner you should not, I'm just going to say this, crash right in front of the announcer because if the announcer is Bill Shiken, he's probably going to point out the fact that you crashed right in front of him. Oh, yeah, no doubt about that. 
But I mean, it's still a great honor to have a quarter named after you, however you come about it. Yeah. So now forever at DCCX, Kelly Corner will be in existence. And uh, <laughs> it's right there behind the start finish line where the, the official's tent is. It's kind of a downhill, slightly off camber corner that if I had more experience and skill would be so very easy to rail. But you know what? Just I don't have that experience and skill right now, but I promise you I will get it before Alan, you and I race together at some point in time head to head and cross. It'll be awesome. I mean, so can I, can I interject? (laughs) It is actually really interesting to me that you say that and have like a great awareness of what your limits are, because I will go out and say that people overestimating their abilities could quite possibly be the reason there have been so many crashes this year and the people causing them have been some of the more experienced and in theory, the people who are safer riders. Like if you watch the video of Ariel crashing, a Olympian just chops her front wheel and ended up being relegated. But this woman was at the Olympics not too long ago. So you'd think she would be the best bike racer out there and wouldn't be doing these kinds of things. So like knowing what your limits are, um, props to you for that. (laughs) When I crashed at Intelligentsia at, uh, what, what day was that? It wasn't Niles because I didn't do Niles this year. Elgin, I crashed in the final kind of corner in that race and like as I hit the ground I looked at myself and I looked at the other people around me and I just said I absolutely did not need to do that there was no reason I needed to crash and I was super hyper aware of the fact that I just pushed my limits for no good reason at that point in time too far I think part of it is that in cyclocross I can admit very easily with humility and without damaging my ego too much that I don't have that skill set. If this was a crit and that had happened, I would sure as heck be trying to find somebody else to blame potentially because like I can't make a mistake in a crit. It's just unacceptable. I've been doing them for 20 years. I should not. And you know, we all just occasionally run out of talent. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in the sport and how many thousands of times that you've taken a turn or a corner or anything like that, you can regrettably make a mistake. And, you know, at 35 miles an hour, a mistake will really cost you. At five miles an hour, a mistake could really cost you too. But, you know, like, I think that we all just need to be conscious and responsible of our own deportment and be capable of admitting it when we're wrong. Like I admit to that guy from Full Send Racing that I chopped in 2020. That was totally my fault, bro, at Murrieta. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. I'm really, really sorry. So, but Alan, you are on your way to Winston-Salem. Celine, are you heading there too? Sure am. (laughs) Great. Great. And then after that, Alan, you're making the journey from Winston-Salem to Charm. Yep, up to Baltimore. So we're going to go from skinny tires to 33s. 
fat knobby ones. Yep. Yeah, that's going to be great. Guys, thank you so much for being on the show and helping break down El Paso. We'll be back for more action after Winston-Salem. Thank you. Yeah, see you in North Carolina. I get to have the distinct privilege and honor of being the first person in America to say publicly, congratulations, Tiffany Thomas, on your Category 1 promotion. How does it feel to have come all the way up the ranks now? Because today is your first full day as a Category 1. It feels surreal. I still am pinching myself. It feels so good. Does it feel like this is the validation that you were looking for back when you started? I feel like I belong. I feel like I have a seat at the table and I belong lining up with the other women in the elite field. And it really feels special. We're here to talk about Bucks County. Bucks County is a, you know, a traditional staple of the end of the calendar year in crit racing. It's been both incredibly beautiful weather and incredibly terrible weather. I remember back in 2018, I think it was, yeah, it was like 50 degrees and raining. It was awful. You know, this year, it was actually a really sunny and warm day. The The pictures from the post-race show a lot of very sun-kissed human beings having a wonderful time enjoying themselves. Tell us about, you know, just kind of the environs around Bucks County. I mean, can you ask for a better day? I don't, I don't think so. It was like the mid 80s. So you get there and, you know, you feel like, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a long sleeve shirt on, but, you know, you could. And then as the day wore on, it got nice and warm and you felt like, you know, you can work out without having to have an ice sock in. And there were so many people that were screaming and yelling and showed up to cheer us on and it just felt almost like it was in 2019 when I first did this race. Yeah, so you've got a history with Bucks County, and I think that history is kind of foundational and educational for the end result for you in the women's race. What was your history coming into this race with with that venue, with that race? So in 2019 was the first time that I actually guest rode for the team that I'm currently on, the Philly Back Expo Elite Women's Team. I just upgraded to a cat two at the time. And you know, for all intent and purpose, for being honest, I was Packville. And so I was just learning from the other women like Laura Van Gilder, Sam Schneider was there, Madison Kelly, Olivia Ray, who's a friend of this show and one of my friends who I think is amazing. And then Beck Wysak was there and she really just tore it up that day. And I think that, you know, just understanding what she did in the context with the Fearless Femme Racing Team and CWA really set the stage for 2021. Lay the course for us. It's 1.4 miles. It is not flat and or straight. There is a lot of turning and there's a lot of technical, you know, parts of this course. From the start, kind of walk us around that 1.4 miles. So it's an eight-corner crit. Uh, it's nice and hilly, which is not great for a bigger racer like me, but it's fun. So Right after the start finish, there's a nice right corner that starts the downhill portion. And then there's a successive right, left, right. And that first right is a really fast turn that has really one line thread at speed. And if you miss that line, you're going down. It took a couple women down. And then once you make that fourth turn, you start the little flat to the 
um, uphill portion, which finishes the race. And the final stretch is about 350 meters, I would guess. And it's a long drag to the start finish. And so if you start your sprint too early, you are going to peter out before you get to the finish line. And so I think that that was something that a lot of women this race struggled with. They went a little too early. So normal sprint, they say, they being the powers that be, the Velo Illuminati, you know, 200 meters in length is kind of a normal sprint. Would this one be a little bit more like 150 or 100 meters? So I think that if you did it right, it probably was about 150 to 200 meters. But, you know, people started to go right after making that turn. Wow, that's impressive. And I have a feeling that those people either regretted that decision very quickly or they might be superhuman. I think they all did, except for Paula, who just is superhuman. She, you know, we're getting to the end here without, you know, setting the stage. But she's just so strong and had such a big jump on me that I really couldn't catch up to her. So Paula is Paulo, Paulo, Paula. I'm going to get an email here from Tish Kelly probably shortly saying the pre- the correct pronunciation for her for CWA, Paulo Munez, the, I believe she's Chilean bike racer who's just come in in the last couple of weeks here and just lit things up. Won two races at Gateway Cup against somebody named Skylar Schneider, who used to be unbeatable. Uh, You know, she's come in here again, and she won this race. You finished second for the Philly Bike Expo. And third was Matilda Reynolds from uh, Fearless Femme. Always like to get those results out there front so that we're not, like, surprising people or telling people that, you know, like, you got to wait to the end to find out that information. So the key here is, like, how did that come about? How did that happen? But... You know, before we talk about the women's results, because I think we've got a little bit more context with you here for the women, why don't we run through the men's results? Did you get a chance to see the men race? So I got to see the second half of the men race. I was with doping control for the first half hour to hour of the men's race. And so by that time, I'd already missed Frank Treviso, Sean Guidish, and Clayton Travis out on a break. And by the time that I was there, I was watching Clever Martinez work his little tail off to catch up to the other three guys. And so I got to watch them work together. But for whatever reason, they made Clever Martinez work his tail off once he got to them. I have a feeling that Clever would work his butt off no matter what. That's just kind of the selfless type of riding that he is. He likes to, you know, he likes to win. That's his thing. And and if that requires him to put himself in a position where he may lose, I think he's okay with that. You know, the men's race is long. It is, I believe, 50 miles. It used to be a straight 100K, but now I think they lowered it so that it's kind of in the neighborhood of like 80 kilometers. It's had a lot of incredible winners over time, and they've, you know, they've really kind of ratcheted the, the, you know, the quality of this race up. It is PRT, which means it does attract some great guys. You know, Frank the Tank, Travieso, is there, Tiffany, a Frank who doesn't get the nickname The Tank? I don't think so. I think it's just part of the territory. I think it is. And, you know, Sean Guidish of Kelly Benefits Strategies is the now second time in a couple of weeks that he's finished in second place behind a Wiley veteran. If you recall, Sean was the guy at the Experience Fayetteville Criterium who George Simpson, the humble hammer from Project Echelon, out-sprinted in that very last lap. 
And Clayton Travis, you know, obviously Team Skyline, they've been looking for and getting wins in a lot of different places with their, you know, renowned vegetarian bike racer that is Wolfgang Brand, the Crit Leaf. So you've got those three. You've got Frank, Sean, and Clayton up the road. And then Clever, you know, he decides that riding in the group is not a good thing and, you know, wants to be up there with the big guys. And, you know, the big guys carried him to the end. But it, how did it play out there in that that kind of like last couple of laps leading to Frank taking the win? So it looked like they were all rotating. And to be honest, I was just trying to get my little... Um, glucose back in my system and start to hydrate again. So I wasn't completely lucid, but it looked like they were all rotating well. And then Frank was just a beast in the sprint. He really has that capacity. And the thing is, is like with Sean and, you know, this is Sean's only 21 years old right now. So he's got a lot of years still to come and a lot of experience to gain but he's getting himself into a position or into positions where he's with the best guys. You know, like Frank is a wily veteran and he's somebody who knows how to win. And so putting yourself in that position with him is great. So let's talk women's racing because we love it. There is a great picture of you on Instagram where you are practicing your cyclocross cornering skills, one leg out, you know, going through a corner that I think was that first corner that you were talking about, the one that you can only take at speed on the exact line. Corner number two. Oh, so what happened there? So that took out a couple women. And so one of the CWA women took it a little too fast and ended up going down and her teammate ended up going over the top of her. I was able to get my foot out and make a little cyclocross turn and avoid it and chase back on without having to go to the pit, which for me, it's easier if I can chase back on and take a break and have to get my mitochondria pumping again. But that corner took out a couple women during the race. And I think it took out a couple men during their race as well. So that was a, a big contender. How did the race ultimately play out for, for you, for the your field, for the women's field? Was it a breakaway? Was it a sprint race? Was it a breakaway that got caught late? Was it always just going to be, you know, a field, you know, like tell us. So going back to 2019, when it was Fearless Femme racing against CWA and Fearless Femme ended up getting the better of the two teams on that day. I figured that CWA, when they were coming in strong again this year with five women and Fearless Femme was coming in with Matilda in Andrea, as well as Allison, who all have raced really well. And Matilda has raced really well. And she won one of the races at Tour of America's Dairyland. So I think she won the second stage of Toad. She was the one that I was most concerned with. You know, if she got off the field with one of the CWA women, that I'd be in trouble because I had no teammates there. But I figured that if one of the Fearless Femme went up, that CWA would cover. And if you look carefully at all the other races, like the what was the one that was in... Alabama, which one is Sunny King? If you look at that one carefully and study that, they also had the same five women or a similar team, and they would not let anything up. And they are so good at positioning themselves at the front that they can really control the race. And they did a really good job with that. One of the other wild cards with this race is that they had a lap winner at the end of the race. And so there was a $500 prize for 
who won the most laps. And so I think that that added to the spiciness. And so CWA, I think they won five of the six first laps. And then Butcher Box ended up getting a couple and Fearless Femme ended up getting a bunch as well. But I think that that added to the excitement and it made things a little faster up the uphill portion. But Matilda, I knew they were going to try to get her up the field and indeed they did. And like I thought, CWA went and chased her down and it was cat and mouse for the first half of the race. And then it kind of settled down a little bit. And I knew that if it came down to a field sprint and I was able to position myself decently, that I would have at least a decent chance of finishing well. Ended up slowing down towards the end of the last lap. And by the last turn, I was able to reposition myself. So I was about the 10th wheel. And at that point, in a field of around 23, the sprint started at about you know, just right out of the first corner, that last corner. And so when you have 350 meters up a hill and you're one of the first front wheels and you're going all out, you got tired. And so by the time that you know, we got to the end, I ended up catching Matilda. Paula was just so far up the field that I couldn't catch her, but I ended up coming in second. Yeah, there's a really great picture of Paula's win. And uh, she's clearly in focus, um, but you and Matilda... You're a little bit fuzzy. There was a little bit of distance between you guys. There was definitely a good couple meters. She definitely got the better of both of us on Sunday. This was a busy race weekend. You know, obviously, we've already heard from folks on the show about the two races in Indianapolis and and about the race in El Paso. So there was a lot of racing that happened. And, you know, by the time we get to Sunday, which was when Bucks County was, there was a, a smaller number of people than, you know, some of the Intelligentsia Cup races that you had done recently or, or some of even lo- the local New York races that you had done. Was this field that you guys were racing at at Bucks County, was it as elite a, of a field as you had been used to in the past or was this, a, a you know, maybe a step down in power? I think all the women were incredibly strong and elite and they all made all of us worked so hard. And so I don't think that it was any less elite than any of the other fields that I've done. Where do you go from here? Are you going pure cyclocross or is there anything left for you on the road season? Cross is now, my friend. Cross is here. So we're going down south to Roanoke, Virginia on Friday for Go Cross and be in Rochester the following week and then down in your neck of the woods in three weeks in Baltimore. Now, Baltimore is a little bit of a hike for me. But I'll make that hike just to make sure that I see you and the rest of the women from the Philly Bike Expo. It will be an honor. Thank you so much for joining us and helping recap this event. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows. WideAnglePodium.com. Find out everything about the full bevy of shows there on the network. Today's show was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly, and featured Tiffany Thomas from Philly Bike Expo, Frank Cundiff of Project Echelon, our senior men's correspondent, Alan Schroeder of CS Vela, and senior women's correspondent, Celine Oberholzer of Wolfpack ATX. Next week, it's going to be kind of a new world for us. 
It is the first time, and I'm so excited about this, that Celine Oberholzer will be producing and running the show by herself and will feature Maggie Coles Lister from DNA. Come back here and join us next week for more stories from our Criterium Nation.